like just go down that road and never question everything and just always look for something that's going to get you to where you want to be internally. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode, we're continuing the conversation with young and ultra successful property investor and owner of Be Invested, Nathan Birch. Learn about the strategies he used to create his $50 million property portfolio, the habits that have contributed to his success, the not-so-typical way he finds deals and much, much more. Birch starts off by telling us about a realization he made on his property journey that could be defined as an aha moment as well as reminding us what makes the value of property go up in the marketplace. First one, I remember I did sweat equity all the time when I first started investing and I thought to myself, this isn't scalable and I was like, I was pulling apart old houses um, and using like the kitchens, the bathrooms, the vanity units, everything, like windows. I clipped like a, sec- a second-hand scrapyard in my backyard um, of parts that I could use on other properties when I'm getting them for next to nothing. And um, there was a point where I sat there, I was doing it, I was like, I need to do this now because I'm earning more money by saving than what I would from my job, so I'm okay to do it now. But you know, successful business people wouldn't be laying second-hand carpet into a crappy rental property in Western Sydney. And I thought to myself, you know, find a skill set that's going to be your best. Like I'm a, I'm a property investor. That's what I do. I invest in property. I'm not a painter. I'm not a tradie. I'm not a, a like I can employ someone affordable, which will do a much better job. But I can focus on doing my next deal that's going to make me 50 grand or 100 grand or, or whatever. So, you know, at a certain point, yes, sweat equity is good. But I see people that are thinking too small when you're picking up that 50 cents off the off the floor. You can't look ahead and grab the 100 buck note that's sitting in front of you. So it's choosing your battles. Um, the other one, like I've learned lots of them over the years, like how I you know, intricately build my portfolio and whatnot. But another one would be is when, um, when I realized that the system, like this is very deep, what I'm about to say. I don't want to go too deep off course of where we are. The media tells you stuff which is aligned to advertisers in their networks where the real world could be different. So when they're saying the property market's fine and you can see it's crashing out there in the real world, you need to do your own research and your own knowledge because when it hits statistical data or whatever and then they can't hide it or whatever, then you know it's generally 12 months too late. So if you can be before a market, like, you know, it's really important to be before the market. So I saw that APRA was tightening things. I saw that I could calculate or reverse engineer the, the financial system to work out, you know, liquidity is getting sucked out of this market. That's what's causing the prices. And I realized today, and it might be very controversial, that how properties haven't gone up in value in the last 10 years. The value of the money that you bought the properties with has lost its value. So you need more of it to buy that same asset. That's a really important thing because debt becomes irrelevant with inflation. Birch goes on to delve into his strategy 
as to how he finances his property purchases and the favourite property he has ever bought. The more inflation there is, the cheaper the debt is. If the property doubles in value, it just means someone needs double the amount of the money to buy that asset. So what is real, the property or the money, which is just a piece of plastic or even just a digit on the email now? Um, that was a big deciding moment for me. It's like, wow, like this whole game surrounds playing bulldog. When people say the property market's in a bubble, it's the monetary system that's in a bubble. And what's going to happen next, we need to work out what's happening in the monetary system to work out what's going to be the ripple effect and the repercussions into other asset classes. The monetary system aspect of it, that was about three years ago when I got stuck with APRA um, and their lending. And I just went to myself, look, I've got a good asset base. I've spent the last you know, 15 years, 20 years building up assets and hustling. Like, I'm just going to make these things that I've got, which is why I did it. I'm just going to make the cash flow so much stronger. I don't need to use the banks anymore. So I don't use the banks anymore. I prefer, I like to use the banks, but I don't sort of fit their mold. So I've got to focus on what I can. And that is, you know, increasing my cash flow from different properties. Like, there was a point where I was like way over the half moon or the passive income from the properties. That's what, you know, buys me a Bentley. That's what, you know, lets me live life on my terms. Um, I've got one cool property which um, I bought for 400 and this is my favourite deal ever. It's a little shop on the central coast. Um, I, I'm not a big fan. As I, my disclaimer on this is I'm not a fan of commercial. I like residential better. But I'll take any property, whether it be a um, whether it be a house, a unit, a villa, a shop, whatnot. I bought this shop that was... Uh, basically, land value for 465 grand about 10 years ago, about seven years ago, eight years ago. Hadn't been rented for 10 years. I took a punt on it. Um, I ended up finding a tenant on a 20 year lease for 100 grand a year. Like an ASX listed company, like one of the big top, being the ASX 200, took a lease on it. However, he reminds us that despite his success with this property, he wouldn't have been able to do it without the proper financial foundation. If I didn't have a foundation portfolio and that was like chump change at the time, then I could have been sitting there for another 10 years with no income, having to service a debt of 465 grand, which could have severely impacted me. That's why I'm not a fan of, you need to have the foundation portfolio set first, which is like just bread and butter residential properties, houses, units, villas. Um, that if something goes wrong, you can offload them easily. You've got minimization and whatnot. But um, you know, building up cash flow streams. Like I realise now, like I've got all these assets, like being properties, which I can do stuff on. So I'm, you know, building a motel. I'm signing up to a motel franchise, sitting on my desk. Um, one of my properties. Um, I've got a storage facility that I want to build in three different locations up the eastern seaboard. Um, you know, it's taking those assets and expanding them in the future years. So, yeah, it's just the house has been the last 12 months have been doing some cool things. So. Birch has accumulated 200 properties worth $50 million and he tells us how he was able to finance the process of buying one property after another. There's a really good aha moment. It happened when I bought like about six or seven houses and I use the word houses now. Mindset feedback from other people like 
Everyone goes, you have to buy a house. The house goes up in value. The house is what appreciates. The land appreciates. So it's not a townhouse or units. It's the land. You need a house that has land. And I started buying that. And I realized, like, I was working two jobs. And I want to get, like, 50 grand a year passive income. Um, with the 50 grand passive income, um, what I had realized is um, I was negative about 800 bucks a week, which is 40 grand a year. Being negative 40 grand a year was hurting me. I, had to, I was working two jobs, but I built the asset base. Then I realized that I could keep pushing forward. Like I was getting stuck. Like I wanted to buy like, I don't know exactly which one it was, but like say six to seven or seven to eight. I was like, the bank won't let me buy the house. And then I found this townhouse and it was like 130 grand. It sold for 280 grand or something three years beforehand. The person had gone bankrupt. It was a bank repo deal when the market had collapsed. And um, like most people were scared back in like 2003 to 2008. They were like, before Jesus, even up to about 2010, they were scared in Sydney, that is. And um, I was like excited because I'm like, these people paid 280 beforehand. I could pick it up for 130 and it was so cheap. And I went back to the bank and asked if I could buy it. And they let me buy that property as like property number seven or eight. And it was renting for like 220, 230 bucks a week. And I really was, realized it was the cash flow from that new asset that was enabling me to buy another one. A lot of people just focus, oh, I want to buy three houses, put a granny flat on, whatever. But it's like, how's that going to get you to your end goal? And it was at that point that I realized I need to keep the, I need to understand finance and I need to understand what the bank's appetite is. And I need to understand that if I can match the bank's appetite and risk strategy with, an asset that will work for me to get to my goals, then that's what's going to work. So, you know, part of it's finding a cool deal. Anyone can find a cool deal. But then it's having the right strategy from a finance front to be able to go, okay, this is going to meet the bank's appetite to allow me to buy more and more properties. Birch further elaborates on the importance of showing the bank you have enough income to fund your property purchases. From there, I started buying. Like I did buy some like really crappy regional area properties which um, all they did was increase my P&Ls for the banks to go, okay, this guy's appetite, he's got enough income coming through to support other properties. So in today's market, people to continue to buy properties, sometimes I have people coming in and they're like, the bank will only allow me to borrow another $200,000. I've got $100,000 equity here. It was like, well, you've got... 300 grand, 500 grand worth of equity in your property, whatever the case may be, you could use that cash, buy a specific type of property with the purpose of buying it cash, which has got a high rental income, in order to improve your cash flow position to then make the bank lend you more money. So they've got these like calculations at the back end, and it's sort of important to work out okay, will the bank take this? No, they won't take this. They won't take this. Um, they won't take like security, but they might take this risk appetite. If I can minimize the risk appetite, we want to make sure that the bank will take the risk appetite on, which will allow um, for you to continue buying. So, for example, there's some properties out there at the moment that you can pick up for like 50, 60 grand, which rent for 450 a week. And they're not the best properties, but they've got the high income coming through. If you added that extra 450 bucks a week, to your cash flow position. These are in like not in mining towns or crappy areas. They're in like sort of big large capital cities. Um, you add that property cash to you. 
position, the bank will then allow you to borrow another two, three hundred grand, and it sort of gets you back on track. In my back in the day, I didn't realize that to that extent before. So I started buying, you know, little regional properties that I could renovate and sell, boost up my income by getting extra fifty grand from this deal, a hundred grand from that deal, and appeasing the banks. It's like I don't like hearing no as an answer. It's like, what do I need to do to get around that to get to the next level? He goes on to compare figuring out the risks and understanding how debt works in the property game. I've got a moment about 18 mil worth of debt to the banks um, and some people will be like, what? He's got 18 mil worth of debt? It's like, well, I've got like just in property like 55 mil worth of property but I've got more debt than any one person in the country probably, like other than a corporation sort of thing and for me to understand how that debt works, I need to work out what risks are around it. You know, you need to understand that. So it's like each level will bring like a new devil and it's like working out, you know, how to overcome that just like, you know, as a kid when you're playing Mario Kart or whatever to get to the next level, people play Fortnite now, you know. I don't know. I don't know what the games are today, but you know, unlocking, unlocking you know, the tech points to get to the next level is, you know, finance is one of those hurdles which a lot of people just give up on or, you know, they plan so badly they don't even consider it. It's like it's a very big consideration. He begins delving into the strategy, stating that it isn't complicated. I've got a very simple strategy. Um, and I remember there was a BRW article once and I saw it, I saw it a while back and it was like, I think it was like, mate, it's the same as a cheeseburger or something was the heading on it. It's like 2010 or 2011 or something. It was like, um, I did an article on this stuff because it was like, I, I look at it, each of my properties, like people just go and go, I'm going to buy something, I'm going to buy this, it sounds good or whatever. But it's a strategy, right? Like Mac is still sold the same number of hamburger and then makes them successful. They've got a strategy and a system and a process in place. So for me, it's buy and hold. For the next person, it might be buy, build, and sell. But I'm a pretty lazy guy, even though I might be pretty active out there. I'm pretty lazy. Like, I don't want to have to keep churning something. So I just, I've never heard someone sit there and say, I'm glad I've sold a property 20 years ago because inherently the money keeps losing its value um, and the price of goods or the entry to obtain something keeps rising in value. So buying a property for 200, selling it for 250, let's say 280, say 30 grand costs in and out and making 50 grand profit, that might sound good, you've made 50 grand, cool. But at the end of the day, you don't have an asset. I'm all about building assets and having a portfolio of assets that when inflation comes, the monetary system dies further, then my asset base increases in value. So I often joke about it. It's like, imagine when the market doubles again, my 50 mil property portfolio turns into 100 million. I don't have to do anything. It just sits there and goes up. It's pretty easy. Um, so I'm all about having a buy and hold portfolio. But the three things that I mentioned before, but buying at below market value, um, meaning that you can pull out that equity. So say you buy property one for, say, 200 grand today and it's worth 250. You need 40 grand to get into that deal for the deposit, um, plus say 10 grand closing costs. You need 50 grand. Put 50 grand into that deal. You've got a loan at 160. It's worth 250. You go back to the bank, get it revaid, 250. Pull out 80% of that. It's 50 grand. You got your deposit back. 
you can put into another deal. You've got a 200 grand loan on that property. By using the equity, Birch was able to leapfrog into the next deal and the next with the property also able to service itself. And he goes on to further tell us how it is necessary to maintain properties in this fashion. I didn't do it on all mine. Like I used to work those two jobs and just hustle real big time. But I, I did a mixture of saving the deposits, using equity for deposits. And you know, the, the more the more assets that you can accumulate, let's say that the, like people go, oh, you were lucky. And so I wasn't lucky. People called me crazy before. They still do. But you know, they, they called me crazy these years ago. Um, what I look at is that if I didn't do the hustle between 2003 and 2010, and that was a very bad time in the Sydney market, like the market's going backwards, but I saw the opportunity that things were on sale. It was at the point in 2009, 2010, I quit my job. The market doubled overnight. So if you know if you could buy ten properties for two hundred grand, and they go from two hundred grand to four hundred grand, you've turned two mil into four mil. You're now sitting there in the future with you know two mil worth of equity or profit if you just sell them off or whatever. That gives you options of choice on what you can do for your next step. If you're buying ten properties at a negative cash flow, you're going to get stuck at like property number one or two. So that's where the cash flow perspective comes in. It needs to look after itself, it needs its own heart, lungs, respiratory system, um, the property does, to be able to, to support itself. This year, Birch has been working on a couple of projects, one of which he goes on to describe in detail. I'm still trying to acquire as many assets as I can, um, right, even given the, the fact that I don't meet the bank's criteria today. I picked up five, six properties this year. Um, that I use a mixture of different cash and different sort of settlement techniques on. Um, with the other properties, I, I could spend that cash that I get coming in to um, sort of renovate or, or, or repair or develop my properties. But at this point in time, I'd just rather have more assets while things are on sale. Like if I'm picking up something 20%, 40%, 50% on sale, I'd rather do that than, you know, build on something um, because it'll still cost you the same sort of money next year to build that it did this year. But for me, um, this year, I've, I've done a lot of renos just because some of my properties are tired, a little bit dilapidated. So I've picked out a few of them and sort of smashed out renos just to improve my cash flow. Like one of them, I had this uh, house and it had like a big granny flat out the back. Um, the granny flat was eaten away by termites. The roof height was so low, I just took it down, the structure, and then re-erected the structure on the same spot, which was made out of steel. Um, and it cost me maybe like 60 grand all up, it's gonna cost me. Um, I just used trades and I project managed the deal myself. Um, I bought like the frame and the structure off Facebook Marketplace. It was worth 45 grand, I believe, 40 grand, something like that. I picked it up for like 15. And that thing there is going to rent for about 700 bucks, 750 bucks a week for me. In regards to this property with the granny flat out the back, he tells us of the percentage of return per year he is receiving from it and informs us what other plans he has for some of his other properties. Yeah, it's like an 80% return on investment per year. So I'm taking cash and then getting a return on it, like to, to try and, like, I've got the assets there, I've got the, the properties that are sitting in my portfolio, I just need to capitalize on them. I don't want to do the big developments at this point. 
Um, I've got lots of land banking options, but I'm going to probably come back to them later. Like they were all bought with the same premises of, you know, buying below market value, strong cash flow, good upside for growth. Well, I've got this street of houses that's in the Gold Coast where all the houses I picked them up for 500 grand a piece, probably worth 600, nothing too crazy. But I own like nearly um, a, a, an acre of land in um, in the heart of the Gold Coast, which is high high density. Um, if I wanted to sell them off, I'd just sell off each individual house. Uh, probably go for like 700 or something. Now, um, but I plan on coming back there. It could be I sell off another side somewhere when I can build on it and get a big chunk of cash and go, okay, I'm going to use that cash to develop that side or another side. Like I've got a, a few sites I've collected over the years. So the sites are what killed my cash flow a bit um, and took me away from my original. I feel like if I was Mac is selling cheeseburgers and Big Macs, then I started selling pizzas. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into how Nathan Birch gets the most out of every situation. Is this going to cost me money or is it going to make me money? What's going to be the biggest impact to me negatively or positively? The habits that have made a big difference in his everyday life and contribute to his success. Call this person, do this, do that because being alert of what actions you need to do creates that person. His advice on what it takes to succeed. They go, I want to do this and then they'll start looking down that road and find the answers that they need. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. He tells us how he gets the most out of every situation and the importance of having a good team around you. I look at everything from a dollar productive activity. That's how I've got to do it. Like dollar productive, is this going to cost me money or is it going to make me money? What's going to be the biggest impact to me negatively or positively? If something's about to blow up, then I'll jump in, in the fear. Having the right team around you is important. So I'm only as good as the, the people in my community. You know, I've got fantastic lawyers, I've got fantastic accountants, I've got fantastic finance people, fantastic property managers, fantastic staff in my business. I'm only as good as what they can perform as well. So if I have, if I accept, you know, sort of sloppiness, laziness, whatever, then that's going to show in my result. Managing people probably been my hardest thing over the years. Birch didn't seek typical sources for information like seminars on his property journey and never even had a mentor. That's the funny thing. I've never been to a seminar in my life. Like I've gone to some of those rah-rah things and just seen, I'm like, wow, like this is like, you know, be crazy for me. <laughs> I just see this stuff. Um, so I've never actually really done seminars myself. Um, like as in like tours or anything um, and I've never been to seminars I've never had a mentor um, there wasn't anyone out there that had you know properties or had what I wanted to back in the day um, and that's sort of why I started you know making funny YouTube videos being candid not really caring about the outcome of you know with an agenda as to what I'm saying I just say it and if I give good value then people may want to use my products services and businesses but um, I never had a mentor. Uh, I just thought of what I didn't want in life, um, and probably like <clears throat> sort of like fear-based growth um, has worked well for me. Like I don't want to be this. So I've got to do this in order to get to where I want to be. Instead of you know just accepting what I didn't want to have. So it's been a, a lot of discovery, uh, self-discovery, 
He gives us an inside glimpse into what it was like for him to be financially free and quit his job and the biggest reason he continues to do what he does today. When I first quit my job, I had an ego way. Like I was like 25, I had like 25 properties, the TV was loving me, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I set up my businesses and I was like, I just wanted to be doing cool things. And, you know, I, I when I quit my job, all my mates were finishing university and, you know, they were working and, and stuff like that. And um, I had nothing to do. I don't travel, I'm scared of aeroplanes. I'm, I'm okay with 20 mil worth of debt almost, but I'm scared of an aeroplane. I never traveled anywhere. So I was just like having that bad anxiety. I'd sit at home and, you know, so many times I thought I'd caught a terminal illness and whatever. I always go to the doctors and all that. So I realized I just need to keep myself occupied. And I started the Be Invested group. And then I realized that, you know, the cool stories that sort of I'd created throughout the community were like very touching. And then, like, over the years, I realized I look back and I'm like, 100 on staff that I need to, you know, make sure that like, they've given me their commitment. I need to make sure that, you know, that they achieve the things. Like, you know, I'm supporting, I'm looking at my glass office at the moment. I'm thinking, like, these families, like, I need to make sure that, you know, they're, they're part of this vision, they're part of, you know, helping people build wealth and whatnot. You know, it's more for the people, really. Like, it's not about me, it's bigger than me. So, um, and it's cool because it keeps me out of trouble because I could do a lot more stuff that make me more money and a lot less stress in business. But it's like, yeah, it's it's just the community that we've built um, at Be Invested. Birch lets us know what sources of information he goes for knowledge and gives us some advice on what it takes to succeed. Like I was the guy that went in that class where the teacher used to have to read your book out sort of thing at school because um, I couldn't read. I read a couple of books in my time but not really anything that would be like, it's cool, like it's probably been like a little, I don't know, 10 years since I read a book. I've got people give me books here, I've got books there that I've never read. Um, but I watch videos, like there's a lot of people that have opinions out there, um, a lot of podcasts that are cool. Um, you know, what what, you, what you're creating here as well is like, you know, a community of people with different opinions, different views and different stories. Um, yeah, like if people can just share their knowledge and I guess people resonate with people that they feel, you know, comfortable with what I've noticed over the years that if they, you know, if they go, I want to do this, then they'll start looking down that road and find the answers that they need. So whatever, you know, it is that, one wants to achieve, like whether it be a, you want to be a professional sports person, you want to be a professional property investor, you want to be a professional health person, whatever. Like, just go down that road and never question everything and just always look for something that's going to get you to where you want to be internally. There's a few personal habits of his that have contributed to his success and he shares them with us. I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. It was bad. Um, I quit, which is good. <laughs> I try to be more healthy nowadays. I actually started smoking because I had nothing to do. So I used to just smoke um, cigarettes. So, yeah. Um, but with it, the, the healthy habits that I do, like I, um, one of my ones for 2020 is to uh, go to the gym sort of three to five days a week, um, which I haven't been doing lately. That's why I'm a bit chubby, a bit more like Homer Simpson. Um, I eat healthy. Because anything that I put, like when I quit smoking, I thought to myself, if I'm going to put something in my body, it's going to benefit 
like my actual body. So, uh, you know, what I, uh, I don't drink alcohol or anything like that. I make sure that the food I eat nowadays is like clean food and, and whatnot because you can feel the difference in how you how your body performs for you. So that's one thing I've been focusing on a lot in 2019. Um, uh, on Habits like every day I have about 10 Excel files that I open on my screen. Um, they That's a minimum. They're like my goals for the year, for my life, um, things that I'm working on. It just becomes like to-do list. Like I have to-do list everywhere. My desk is a mess. It's like an organized mess. Um, but I need to constantly be reminded by having something there in front of me that what I need to do, call this person, do this, do that, because being alert, of what actions you need to do creates that person. And I think a lot of people pick up bad habits and I'll tie back to why I jokingly said about my smoking is a lot of people say, I want to be successful, right? I want to be, you know, rich. I want to have whatever, like define what rich. None of these things are even like measurable. You need to be measurable to it, but have it, like, have a commitment in order to achieve it. Um, people want to be successful, but they're not doing what it takes to be successful. Uh, you don't become successful by hanging out at the booth in the back of a club getting bottle surfers, right? That doesn't make you successful. That takes you away from it because you're not doing the things you need to be. If you know, if I'm not going to the gym, I'm not being my body's not being the healthiest, right? So when it comes to property investing, are your habits, you know, is getting that new car, is going on that holiday. I see these people and they're like, it's all about brands and consumerism and stuff. And that's why I wear a white or a black t shirt every day. He highlights the importance of not getting distracted by things which can stop you from achieving the success you want and having the people around you on board. I don't have any brands. I don't represent. I don't go and buy a brand and go represent, represent me who I am. don't care about a shirt. Like it's just little sort of habits there where people go, I need to have a new LV bag or a new LV belt. Or, and there's nothing wrong with LV. I like Louis Vuitton, right? But it's like... Those things are going to take, are there a distraction? They're getting you close to your goal. Most people right now are planning for, you know, getting drunk at their Christmas party, spending more time planning their party on the weekend. They're spending more time thinking about stuffing the turkey or where the holiday is going to be rather than planning for their financial future. Yeah? And as we head into 2020, you know, like I'm going to take, I always take like the, the week off. Like I never have a day off throughout the year, not even a day. Sometimes I do for a wedding or something. But this year I actually had no days off for 365 days. Um, but I take the time off between Christmas and New Year's. I lock myself away and I reflect on the year that I've had and I look at the year that it's ahead of me and what steps do I need to be. So it's like I'm traveling into the future. It's pretty deep stuff traveling in the future, seeing what it's going to look like and then work out what steps I need to do to be that person and to become that person to get there. So, And then throughout the year, I work backwards and that's why I have all those Excel files and everything to remind myself like, okay, cool, I need to do that. I haven't done that yet. And it's fitting as you know, as much stuff in your day. Like People go, oh, I can't get ahead. Oh, I'm so stressed or depressed or you know, life's crap, whatever. So you go to work. I've got no time. It's like, well, you have time because you're out at the pub getting pissed with your mates. You've got time to watch Netflix. You've got time to spit beer at the TV and tell the TV how you won a game where you didn't even play it. And it's like, you've got time for that. Why don't you spend that time learning, researching, listening to your podcast, watching YouTube videos, reading books, uh, researching properties, 
researching finance, researching tax. Like, people have time. They, just, they probably just don't use it correctly. So I always try and use my time effectively and efficiently to, to improve myself. I look at it as like a business plan for your personal life. You know, like successful businesses have a plan. Like no one just opens up a business and then just, oh, yeah, it should be right because that's why people go broke. And the same with your goals, your dreams, your ambitions, you know, and if you've got a spouse or children or whatever, like get them on board, get them creative about it, like get them excited and share the same dream because sometimes people either get belted from a spouse because they don't share the same vision or the same dream Um yeah, you, you need to be on, on par like with, with the other people that are around you, your family members, and you know, your, your, your colleagues, your spouse, your friends, whatnot as well. So. If Bertrand met himself 10 years ago, he certainly had some things he would like to say to him. I knew where I wanted to go, but I still thought I was crazy at the time because everyone else had programmed me to that. If I met myself, if I went back in time and found myself from 10 years ago, I'd probably give myself a, a kick in the ass or something. Um, and give myself some advice, you know, things that I'd do differently and whatnot. But if I if I saw myself today from ten years ago, I'm a totally different person. And every sort of there's actually this thing. This is like pretty crazy. Like in in your body, there's like I forget what it's called. It's like some drug that your body creates for itself. And as a child, children have it, and they lose it when they're about like ten or twelve years old. Like it stops them from growing. It's like the inquisitive sort of inquisitive sort of side where a child goes to ask questions, learn, whatever, but society sort of belts them out of it and it doesn't form anymore. I don't know what it's called. But um, I always think of myself as like a little kid, like every quarter I'm changing, I'm growing, I'm trying to be the better person of where I want to be in the future and leaving that old person behind, like a kid taken home, Feels like his head's going to fall off for the first three months, and then it gets a bit of strength in the head, and then it opens its eyes, interacts, starts turning over, makes noises, and it's like up, standing up, crawling, talking a little bit, you know, then it can go potty train. Like the kid goes through phases, and that happens to like they're that age. But, you know, try and keep growing. Try, like, don't let society beat you up. Nathan, last question I have for you. How much of your success is due to your skill, intelligence and hard work and how much of it is because of luck? It's all about luck, mate. Just ask him lose of it. You were just lucky. <laughs> um, I think I actually had a chat to someone, a business person, like one of my clients. I was on a call like 11 o'clock last night and um, I was talking to him and so like, they actually brought up this conversation and I was like, the only thing I think I'm lucky for is uh, I'm lucky that I have uh, an able body. I'm lucky that I live in a place which isn't freaking war-torn and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm lucky that I've got access to opportunity. That's not me. That's like just things being right. I've got the same opportunities as everyone else. So I've no, there's no benefit 24 hours in a day. Everyone else has got the same thing. The only thing I'm lucky for is the mindset to take action, being committed, having a plan, being determined, and my commitment. Like, they're the things that I'm lucky for. Everything else, I'm very calculated. The moves that I make are calculated. The actions I take in my life are calculated. It, for me to get to where I am didn't just happen. It happened from the choices over and over and over, compounded effects of this move doing right because I see how it's going to work, this one working because of X, Y, Z. So, 
There's no luck in it. It's commitment. It's focus. It's taking action. Thank you to Nathan Birch, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you'd like to hear his full story or contact Nathan, simply visit propertyinvestory.com.